I'm James Ingram, and welcome to Make My Logo Bigger, where we speak with creatives in the ad business. Today on Make My Logo Bigger, we sit with the life force that is Brian Fader. Currently, Brian holds a master's in adult education and has completed his master's in counseling psychotherapy and has committed his life to helping individuals equip themselves with performance and learning strategies that make all the difference. With a keen understanding and lived experience in self-marketing and making things happen, his advice and insight transcends industries. Please join me in offering a warm welcome to Brian Fader. Brian, it's so great to see you. It's great to be here, James. Uh, I won't call you Jimmy, I promise. But no, that, but that go is for ha- it. That's how we met. Yeah, I got to tell you, I've been, I'm really excited about this. Um, you and I have known each other for quite a while, and I, you know, and when we do connect, it's usually on the golf course. But we have this strong connection. I, I feel like, uh, you know, I can share anything with you, and likewise. Yes, absolutely. And I think yeah. we support each other. I think that uh, there are there are very few people in the world who I think I'm from the same planet as. Yeah. It's probably not this one, and you're definitively one of those people. There's no time between when we connect. It doesn't require anything. It's it's yeah yeah we, we came from the same far off place. And there's some great jokes that we have, we share with our dysfunctional upbringings too, which I which I love so 100%, much. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. So your story is really incredible. And can you give us a bit of a background on how you got to this point or what happened? You know, in, in thinking about that, I, I could probably come at it from a couple of different directions because I'm a little hard to define in what I do. Uh, I grew up in a house with a social worker, and I think that's probably been the defining point of my life and how I've ended up doing all the other things that I've done. Uh, when you grow up in the house of a social worker, my mother was a social worker. She went back to school later in her life, so for the first bit of my life, she was a stay-at-home mom and then became this probation officer, parole officer, child protection person, etc. She she had her hand in the people who needed help. Uh, she also was a person who, when you think of the saying, if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So uh, I was a nail, everybody was a nail because she only had a hammer. And so I was probably- I love that. Yeah, me too. I was probably an experiment half of my childhood because she was working on human behavior and how to move people around, etc. So almost everything I've done in my life has been around why people do what they do and trying to help out as best I can. So I have a career in hairdressing. I have a couple of careers that run side by side. Do you have a career in hairdressing, just to clear up? Because it pissed your dad off? Both parents, actually. Both of them. Very much so. Nice. Yeah. So I was looking for revenge at the end of high school, which I actually didn't really finish. So I was trying to find an (laughs) alternative. And I had a couple of part-time jobs. And one of them was at Consumers Distributing. And a lady I still know well named Mary Hart. On Bears Road? Bedford. Bedford. I remember the one in Bears Road. I sure do. Yeah. yeah. I, may I love even, consumers I loved it. I may have even trained there before yeah. I worked in Bedford. Yeah. And I was the kid in the back you never saw who, when you filled out your slip, I ran and yeah. got your car stereo That's for right. you or whatever. And learned at Consumers Distributing that if you took 18 different returned car stereos, you could build one for yourself without anybody ever knowing. Right. So that was great. Free car stereo for my 1976 Gremlin X. Nice. Was good. So Mary Hart Baker said, have you ever thought about going into hairdressing? And I didn't see that as being anything I was interested in and then thought about how it would filter through my house when I told my divorced, recently freshly divorced parents that I was going to do the opposite of what they thought I should do. And uh, then I realized there were 60 girls and two guys at hairdressing school. And that's uh, all that was required. The guy guy that I am said, yep, I will do this. 
uh, for six months and then I'll go live my regular scheduled life. This will just be a little commercial break. Uh, and that was almost 38 years ago. Wow. And so with all the other things I've been able to get my hand into career-wise, hairdressing has stayed with me. I've done somewhere between 57 and 59,000 haircuts, which means I've had that many conversations, almost exclusively women. I'm not really a guy who cuts men's hair. I'm not a barber. And so I've used that as a jumping off point, both to certainly to help people uh, and be interested in human behavior, as I mentioned earlier. But I've used it as a jumping off point uh, to do many other things because you can have very intellectual conversations with your clients. Uh, you have contacts like you couldn't believe. Exactly. You know, you know everybody a little. Yeah. Which is remarkable. And the power that I've been able to tap into, I guess, in terms of favors if I've needed them and I don't ask for them much, um, the power of five inches of scissors is remarkable. Yeah. In terms of, you know, somebody who thinks highly of me and says, yeah, we can help you or my husband's uh, fill in the blank, doctor, lawyer, uh, whatever it is, uh, we can get the answer for the question you have. So I've been very, very lucky. And it's not my only career, but it was the majority of my career until my mid 40s yep. and then that's when I started looking at some other things so, so that's really interesting so you're you're self-employed always I've written my I mean, own you checks cannot my whole life. be self-employed without marketing so how do you 100%. market how do you market your salon how do you market yourself as this rock star yeah hairdresser? I've, I've done a couple things I used to be a competitor I I used to compete in hairdressing competitions and yeah. that was something that would garner you a certain amount of notoriety for yeah. sure uh, I wrote a daily uh, for the daily news I wrote a weekly column for for a couple of years, I had no concept that 50,000 people read the Sunday Daily News. So that was another thing that certainly garnered me a lot of attention, which was great. The commonality with both of those, however, is not conscious marketing where I thought, hey, I'm going to write for the paper or I, I just wanted to do what I wanted to do and do it well and often do it for very little. Uh, the newspaper, I think, used to pay me 15 bucks a column. I mean, it was gross from a yep. financial perspective. Yep. However, uh, I really wanted to write. Yeah. And so I think the common ground on marketing for me is I'm going to let the world tell me that I can't do it, but I'm not going to tell me that I can't do it. I, I called up the Daily News. I was I took my daughter to a swim meet and uh, was reading the Daily News and thought, I could try this. And so I wrote to the editor and just said, I'm a hairdresser. I've got some ideas about hairdressing uh, from the view from behind the chair. And that's what, what the column was called, behind yes. the chair. Yes. And I made up three titles, how to break up with your hairdresser, uh, just a couple of arbitrary yeah, titles. Yeah. Two weeks later, I was featured in the paper as our upcoming new columnist. And I think I think what happened there was I just simply wasn't afraid to ask. Um, I'm okay if they you tell me I can't do it. don't get what you don't ask for. I'm, I'm all right if they say no, but man, I'm not going to be the guy to say no to no. an idea that I that I might have. So, yeah. so you're already marketing and this is in your early always. 20s. Yes. Yeah. Actually, it was in my early 30s. So I was right. You were right this about This is what? a marketing podcast. A hundred Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> apparently. Yeah. And, but I really think that the key there though yeah. is that I'm not getting up every day thinking about how to market myself. I'm getting up every day thinking, A, I'm going to chase what I want to do, my passion. I want to I want to do things. And B, I'm going to do them better than people expect me to. Because they told you that you couldn't. F who gives a, a guy yeah. with a GED at yeah. that point and a hairdressing diploma from cosmetology school, uh, a weekly 500 to 750 word column in a paper that 50,000 people read? Nobody. Yeah. Except I wasn't going to not ask and not take no for an answer i've been so lucky that yeah. i don't get no much yeah i've been very fortunate that i think the concept 
of being contagious, yes. not in the world we live in in this moment, of my enthusiasm catches when it comes to things I feel passionate about and they felt it and it worked. I mean, it yeah. worked. I was, yeah. I used to go to Moosehead Games and people would go, aren't you that hair guy from the paper? And I That's thought, right. how do people even know this? So yeah. I know it was excellent. That 15 bucks went a long way. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. And I still have clients to this day. That would have been almost 25 years ago, 20 years ago for sure. And I still have clients who came to me originally because of reading my column in the Daily News. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it was. So as I just admitted to you when you came in, I I got around to watching your TEDx talk. Yes. Blown away. Thank you. Recommend it to anybody. So good. Thank you. You focus a lot on the question, what is your story? Mm -hmm. Can you you tell us a little bit about how that happened and and what you decided to present to that audience? Sure. Uh, So first of all, my daughter, my youngest daughter, I have two daughters, Olivia and Gabrielle. Uh, One is a uh, advisor at Dalhousie and, and my youngest daughter's a nurse and my youngest daughter went to the CPA and, uh, they would host Ted talks and her and I were attending one just because, and she leaned into me and said, dad, you should, you should do this. You know, you could do this. You speak all the time. And for some strange reason in that moment, as I was listening to other speakers, I knew that I wanted to focus on the concept of how are you defining your life story? Since everybody has one, where did it come from? Did somebody else give it to you? Uh, did you design it yourself? Could you change it? Are you right? There's so many things around the, that idea. So luckily, a few years later, she was at the University of New Brunswick. They were hosting a TED Talk event. You had to apply. I had to drive up twice, stand in front of a bunch of kids uh, just to pitch the idea of what it would be. And they liked it a lot, which was great. And for your listeners, the, I, the TED Talk is called What's Your Story? And it's this idea that if you define it yourself rather than letting other people define it and put your hand on it and have control over it, you can do some miraculous things with how you interpret your life because it's an interpretation. It's not a factual account. And so many people look back and they pull out the bad things, string them together, and that's their story. Yeah. And so what I challenged the audience to do was to change that through a bit of a lie. And I had to convince the TED people that it was okay to lie to the audience because that's one of the rules. Don't lie. So I had to lie and simply <laughs> say that the, I did. So I, that there were simply that I had two friends and this was their story. And I tell two parallel stories about two very different people. And then you can watch the TED Talk to see how that ends. Yeah, yes, but don't give it away. It's, yeah, it's amazing. It's a lesson in if you get to choose, why don't we do some talent searching about your own life? Why don't we find some things in your life, string them together that are true, yeah. and that's key, that are true, that allow you to then go make decisions with yeah. that story. Because when that story shows up, good things happen. You know, what's interesting about that is, uh, you know, really what I'm thinking as you're speaking is know your own story. And I don't think a lot of people give their own story credit. Everybody has an interesting story. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And the work that I do with athletes, which we'll get to in a bit, one of the main things that I do with athletes is require them to do their own scouting report to go back through and say, yeah. if I'm the coach against you, what do I need to worry about? And what it does is it requires them to create, to go back and pull the strengths, the facts, but the strengths that they actually have. And you watch people change drastically when they have what is effectively their own little resume about who they really are yeah. from a strength perspective yeah. versus a weak perspective. Yeah. Remarkable. And how they perceive themselves. That's right. That must be the real goal when you see that. Well, it takes some nudging. Because I think the inclination, very specifically with female athletes, is to find the things they've done wrong. Yeah. There's a there's a trope in sports psychology that states 
Girls have to be told they're better than they think they are. And boys have to be told, my friend, you are nowhere near as good as you think you are. Yeah, interesting. And so specifically with female athletes and, and Build I can them up say or this, tear them down. Yeah, I can say this as a hairdresser because I have to be careful sometimes about making generalities. But I can say as a hairdresser of 38 years doing primarily women's hair, it isn't just female athletes. It's right. just in general. Yeah. What, I, what I always say to any audience I end up speaking to that is female dominant is the world tells you to Yeah. And, and I'm going to try to help you do the opposite. Roar. Exactly. Exactly. So that, that is our next question. So with regard to working with athletes, mm -hmm. you primarily work with athletes. I do. Right now. That's correct. Really what uh, you talk about is easily transferable to many realms. Mm -hmm. What is the reality at the core of mentally training for performance? Yeah, I thought a little bit about this. It's actually. a lot, but you no, get it's it. okay. Yeah. yeah, it's okay. So, just a, a little bit of background that I was able to, through a stroke of luck, transition into uh, adult education for athletes from adult education for hairdressers, and the reason was that I was working in competition uh, from a hairdressing perspective, and learned that the people who were competing at a really high level needed help with performance. You know, someone asked me once, my future boss actually asked me, uh, Dr. Carolyn Savoy, who was uh, both a PhD in sports psychology and also the women's basketball coach at Dalhousie. She, she said to me one day, are you training them on how to cut hair? And I said, no, I'm actually training them how to not be nervous. And she allowed me to come and be her mental skills trainer for her women's basketball team which was life-changing for wow. me. Yeah. And so there's this, there's a commonality around performance. Certainly what we talked about earlier about a belief system and who you are and figuring that out. But what I notice as I go through the world, working with athletes of different kinds of different ages, and then non-athletes, teams in general, I'm not a team building guy. I, I don't market myself as that no. because there are other people who do that very differently. But I do know that you have to be able to control your uh, physiology, your body. You have yep. to be able to move a certain way in order to be able to perform. And you also have to have a good script inside your head, which goes back to that story. And that could be something as simple as a one-word exercise as you enter into an arena of whatever your arena is, or just simply fact searching of who you really are, as we mentioned earlier. Yeah. If you have that in your head and you move your body a certain way, and I know people can't, see us right now, but I can be five, eight and out of shape or six feet and 191 pounds yeah. all in the way I stand yeah. in the way that I present myself. Yeah. And if I were to sit here talking to you with a, with a physical position of dote and fear yeah. with my shoulders, You're diminished. Um, then that's how I'm going to sound. Yeah. And if my shoulders are back and my body's in a position to be ready, yeah. I don't have to think as much. And yeah. that's what one of the things that I work, all athletes, I, I work with this idea. You do not have to be brilliant to walk like you know what you're doing. Yeah. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. And so it's remarkable to see what happens when a kid changes that way. Yeah. When their shoulders go back and their head comes up and they see the world. And you give them permission to do it. A hundred percent. And the world slows down, which means it gets easier. Yeah. So they can handle things better. Yeah. And then they present to the world a message almost a marketing yeah. message, if you will. I got it. I got it. I got it. Yeah. I got it. Give, uh, it give it to me. I got it. What you're describing, I, I I think a lot of people have gone through. I know I have. I mean, I remember getting out of school, going into, okay, I got a diploma in photography, whatever. And now people are going to pay me to do this. Mm -hmm. I remember being terrified. Of course. Yeah. I mean, totally, completely faking it. 
the confidence. Yes, you yeah, know. Yeah, and, sure. And then after a while, years go by, and you're like, you just think, I don't think that way anymore. Right. Well, a couple of things are happening there. I mean, one, you have the proof because you have actually yep. grinded it through and done the work and been courageous. You know, you step into things when you're afraid anyway. It isn't a matter, however, of of just sort of fake it till you make it, although that's true and important. When we change how we move, we actually send a message to our brain that says, oh, wait a minute, there's a disconnect between my fear and what my body's doing. Right. And what I always say to athletes, I had kids last night, uh, Halifax Citadel uh, girls soccer. Yep. And so one of the things that I said to them was that if your body is in a position that's positive, then your brain is going to start to think different things. It just will. And you don't have to think about what you're going to do as much because your body's already there. Yeah. It really is. And, and it's the simplest way you can change. Uh, things like breathing and posture, the things that can be sort of overlooked because they seem so simple yeah. are drastic in the way that people Incredible. can believe about themselves. Exactly. So I would guess you were walking into situations where you looked like you knew what you were doing, even yeah. if you were afraid that you didn't. Whether I did or not, I don't know, but I mean, I had to keep pushing forward, right? right. And then, and then, right. you know, it's interesting. I wish I was armed with this knowledge sure. at the time. Sure. Yeah. But as I, you're speaking, I can feel it. You know, I can feel those, yes. those changes that happened. I wish I knew it when I was young as right. well, because at 55, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm young for my age and I yes. have a ridiculous amount of energy. However, do. I, I, I want to spend 38 more years trying to help kids realize yeah. that they can do it. Yeah. You know, that's the only disappointing part to all of this is that, boy, I'd, I'd take a hundred years just to be able to, to do that because it, sports is interesting because you see the result, yes. right? So if I go speak to an audience of a couple hundred people, that's great. I enjoy it. They seem happy. That's fine. But I don't get to stay around and watch and see if it works. With athletes, yeah. you get to watch them. And yeah. that feels incredible too. And oh, then, the feedback, then to see them the just, feedback. Hit, just hit a little, a movement or a thing or an right. attitude, whatever it is that they've been working on. I talk a lot to people, anybody really, about process goals, about how you're going to do it, not what you're going to do. Yeah. I don't want to hear that you're going to score three goals. I want to hear about how you're going to show up. And then to watch them show up that way, that's the win. Yeah. I know the goals come when people are able to control that, but that's not the thing. The thing is you set a goal and then you showed up and did it. Incredible. Life's going to come at you in a good way when that happens. So this process, mm -hmm. when they fail, they, they yeah. prepare, they do everything, they go in, they're yes. mentally ready and they fail miserably. Yes. What, what, what happens then? What, what do you say on the other side of that? First of all, uh, I try to make the game as easy as to not fail as possible. Right. right. And so one of the things about process goals, uh, or really mental skills training in general is that you're trying to control the controllables always. Yeah. So we have this idea about not looking at a clock. I ask basketball players this all the time. You've got a lot of basketball in your life. Yeah. I've asked basketball players this all the time. Do you look at the clock? And they go, yeah. I'm like, why? Why are you looking at the clock? <laughs> There's a shot clock you need to pay attention to. Yeah. Why are you looking at the score? Right. And so I, tr I try to get them out of outcome so that their outcome is better. Yeah. So if they fail because they set a goal to be enthusiastic and energetic and urgent and strong, if that fails, which I have to tell you happens way less, right. way less, right. um, then we map it back. We just go backwards and go, let's talk about the three hours before the game, what was going on. Yeah. And it's often very easy now that I have the education to understand behavior yes. better. It's pretty easy to pluck out the moment where you go, there it is. Well, There's those are the gifts. The failures are the gifts. With Oh, without a doubt, 
it's challenging to help kids that are 18 understand that. Yes, That becomes a bit of the work. And one of the things I've talked about a lot lately are the graduates of COVID high school, you know, and and now I'm at the point where I, I say, oh, you went to CHS. That's fantastic. And you know, and because we know some things about those kids, um, because they weren't exposed to the learning opportunities that other kids it would have. It was awful. It was awful yeah. in many ways. Uh, however, if we know that, and then we can do something about it, yeah. you know, and, and that's that's worked quite well, actually, which has been great. So in the past, we've had the privilege of discussing some, the importance of mental health support in the workplace as some of our guests. Mm-hmm. How important is it to support a mental health of your team? What are the actionable ways you prioritize this in the workplace? From a, a mental health, paying attention to mental health or mental strength in yes. the workplace? Yeah. yeah. There's a couple of ways, you know, as leaders, one of the things that becomes very valuable for us is time. Yeah. And so when you're spending time with your team, and it doesn't matter to me what your team does, if they're putting hoops, putting balls through hoops, or they're manufacturing something in your factory, it makes no difference. One of the great values that you can share with them to value their mental health and to check in with their mental health is your time. And so there's some easy, strategic, uh, specific ways to do that. One of them is the fact that you're going to look at them when they're talking to you and not your phone and not a piece of paper and not out the window because we are not looked at near enough anymore. So that's a big one. It might seem... Love that. Simple, it's not easy. And when people feel heard, they feel connected, uh, recognized, cared about. Uh, it's remarkable, actually. When you think about great leaders, one of the thing common denominators you always hear, a perfect example would be somebody like Barack Obama. He makes you feel like he's listening to you. Yes. Because he stands there with you. You know, this idea of keeping your head and your feet in the same spot all of the time, that's a will create a great deal of success. When your head and your feet aren't in the same spot, you're in trouble. Right. Because you're thinking about yesterday or tomorrow. So being present with a person and looking right at them when they're talking is a big one. And the second one, which I learned from a chiropractor a hundred years ago, was to take a deep breath before you speak back to a person. So often when we're communicating, we will know what they're really going to say and we almost start talking before they're done. Yeah. And instead, we all are. 100%. Yes. So work like this, where if you were to share something with me uh, about what was going on in your life as a a team member in, in my organization, if I simply took a breath before I answered, before I acknowledged what you said, it creates space. And suddenly they realize this person's listening to what I say. And I can tell you, no matter what the problem is, if I start with, he's looking at me or she's looking at me and they're listening to me, half the problem's gone. Yeah. It's remarkable. Yeah. Because they feel heard. Yeah. You know, we have all kinds of, there are many podcasts that talk about the concept of social media making us antisocial. Nobody's getting listened to. It's pretty simple. Yeah. And so when I go after this, I'm going to go meet with a volleyball player and my goal is to speak less and listen more so that when we leave, she will feel heard and that will solve half. I don't know what she's going to talk about yet. That'll solve half of the issue. Interesting. Yeah. The simplicity of that is beautiful. This concept of simple, not easy is something that comes up more and more in my life. People ignore simple things because they don't think they're complicated enough to be smart. But the reality is stopping and spending a moment with a person to make, help them feel cared about is simple. Is it ever? It's not easy. It's easy to be distracted and go off and do other things. Yes. And this is true of any sports team, any team that you're working with, any individual you come in contact with. uh, If you help them feel recognized and looked at and listened to, you're on your way. 
You yeah. really are on your yeah. reins. So you're injecting them with confidence because you're letting them know they're important enough for you to pay attention to and listening without being distracted. That's exactly right. You're reminding them mm. that they're human beings. Yeah. And boy, you, you and I have many conversations about that. But yes. once you do that, great things can happen. They yeah. really can. So yeah, it's so true. Oh, I was going to tell you, I dropped a, a we, uh, Brian and I do this thing uh, where we talk about money we give away to. I love this. So I, I, I'm with North. I'm coming home from, picked him up from school. Yes. I'm going to probably start crying here. Anyway, I get to the Windsor Street Exchange. Yes. Young girl. Could have been my daughter, you know, like mm-hmm. 21. I'm like, how much money do I have? Right, right. Yes. But we have, North I, is connecting that, right? He's like, oh, dad, open the window. She's, we could. Oh, and I'm, see, I'm there I'm you like, did it. I'm like, I, you know, I call parenting 101. Yeah, I don't know. You did it. Yeah. As soon as it's their instinct. Yeah. Uh, I would say to both my daughters over the course of her life, you want to make someone's day? And, and they would go, okay. Yeah. And then I just roll the window down and a 20 would come out. Yeah. I have a very specific thought about the people that we see that are out on the street. Uh, I hear a lot of different views on different solutions people have or different opinions about, you know, when you see a young girl as an example, there are people in the world who could say, get a job or what's, what's going on that you're doing that. I believe wholeheartedly that the minute that you turn your hand from down to up, you are never going to forget that moment in your life that no. you had to ask for help. Yeah. And I don't care what's wrong and I don't care what you're going to do with the money. Yeah. But we move through That's the world. That's important. It's so important. Yes. We move through the world with our hand down to take action. We grab things, move things, build things. Yeah. yeah. And as soon as we can't and our hand goes upward to the sky and says, I'm not able to do this anymore. I don't care what happens next. If I can help, I'm going to try to help. Yes. Because you are going to carry that scar the rest of your life, no matter what you do, sure. good or bad. Yeah. And I don't want to contribute to that. And so I, I just, it becomes easy. That drives my behavior that way. I just, it just becomes a no brainer. And yes, we have a good game where if I do it or if you do it, you'll text me. I'll, I'll get a text yeah. and says 20 on Windsor. <laughs> and it yeah. becomes this dare, this beautiful dare of, okay, yeah. I can do that. I know? forget where I heard this quote, but it's one of my favorites is somebody I heard say, it was a two part thing. Somebody said, why did you help that person? Why, why did you go mm-hmm. out of your way? And the, the response was because they were in my path. Right. Right. I just love that because yeah. life is a path and you're going to meet people and things are going to happen. You don't get to decide a lot. That's right. It's what you yeah, do. That's right. It's what you do in those situations, right? One of the things we do in leadership training, whether it's leadership and coaching, leadership and playing on a sports team or leadership in any other organization is the concept of what's the wake you're leaving. Yeah. So if you picture a boat in the water with all the ripples that are behind it, if you think about and ask yourself every day, either what wake did I leave or what wake could I leave? as I go out into the world. Yeah. Same thing. Solves yeah. an awful lot of thinking. Yeah. You don't have to think much if no. you're if you're just conscious of if I leave the room and things are a little better, however I choose to do that, then it's going okay. Yeah. Yeah. Then I'm doing okay. Yeah. And and you're right, driving by or walking by somebody who needs help, I'm gonna leave awake. And that's the hook. Everybody's leaving awake. It's yes. not just about being conscious of it. We're all doing it. Yeah. So if I can leave awake that tells the other human with his hand pointing to the sky that we're all not bad and it could be okay. Yeah. Yeah, then mission we're doing, accomplished. Then we're doing, exactly. Then we're doing Love all right. This. So it's important, man. It's important. Yeah. You know, that's it's so important. Yeah. It's the part that frustrates well, me. Well, you know, it, I mean, you do all kinds of actions during your day, right? Right. So that day was no different for me. It was near the end of the day, but there was no uh, other action that I will remember from that day right. than that action 
of passing that bill yeah. of that window to that young lady. Yeah. So back to the concept of if you want to be a good leader, uh, stop and look them in the eye and breathe before you talk. When you stop and do that, and I know you, because I do too, you look at them. It's not like you put your hand out and don't even look. Oh man, do I ever. Two humans now. We're yeah. just two humans. Yeah. It's not, you're not secondary. You're not invisible. There's a lot of talk about that, about people feeling invisible. No one's seeing me. And in that moment, by a gesture, you're seeing another human being. What's better than that? Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and and again, you know, the, it's not lost on me and, and nor on you from, from rough up, rough starts. Yes. Paid, yeah. You know, I, Absolutely. I, I just like, I cannot help it. I look at her and I say, how did they fail you so miserably? Right. How criminal is that? Yeah. Well, and that's, I think people's willingness to look away. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's right. And You're right. She was with a bunch of people with their hands down. That's right. That's exactly right. And so if that, if we can do that, oh, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that lots of other good things can happen. And, and I love the idea that those rules apply to the kid on the street, the kid who works for you, the kid who plays yeah. for you. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The rules are the same in that way. That's everybody can do that. Yeah. And if everybody could get past the point where, you know, we talked about this already, but when I hand that money over and they go and drink it or they buy drugs with it, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. I'm not judging what the next action is. Right. So there's a lot of talk in, I agree, and there's a lot of talk in the mental health work that I'm doing. Uh, and I guess it's important to say that I'm four weeks and two days from finishing my second master's degree Unbelievable. in psychotherapy. Congratulations. Thank you. We're going to get into a little more of that. Yeah. Yeah. But so I'm I'm working with athletes from a mental health perspective and a mental performance perspective, and those aren't exactly the same thing. Yeah. But one of the things that keeps coming up as a sort of a common theme is this idea about some feelings are normal. So if somebody presents and says, I feel depressed, uh, okay, well, let's talk about all the factors of your life to see if maybe that's okay. Maybe, maybe you should be depressed right now based on some of the other things that are happening. So when I think of yourself the, permission that, to be depressed, that's right. So the kid on the street who runs to buy booze to drink, that's exactly what you should do yeah. when it's the quick, easy solution in this moment. I don't want, I would like to think you could move off in a different direction, but of course you're going to go do that. So yeah. rather than judging it or thinking, get a job, if you're cold and alone and scared, a, a beer is going to take the edge off yeah. right now, you yeah. know? And yeah. so I, that takes all the judgment out of it for Absolutely. me. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think of it like that at all. I would, if I'm scared and alone, I'm going to find some pain relief and yeah. pain relief comes in many, many forms. Yes, it does. Yeah. So true. There's been moments in your career that sound like you've been, um, you leaned a lot on self-promotion. Mm -hmm. So I think of that from the perspective first of trying to be the best at what I do, not the best to, to uh, compared to other people, but the best in terms of I'm going to fulfill my potential as best I can in whatever it is that I do. To me, that's marketing 101. Yeah. Uh, whatever I go and do, I want to under-promise and over-deliver yeah. every time. Yeah. Because the opposite is always disappointing. We live in a really interesting city, James, where it's small enough and big enough. Sometimes it's uncomfortable, the size of Halifax. However, if you're not going to be really good at something, it's going to catch quick yep. that you're not that good at yeah, it. And so right. I like that. I like the pressure of Halifax that way. Yeah, where, I hadn't thought about that, but that's absolutely true. Yeah, it's big enough to allow uh, people to grow, but it's small enough that if you if you mess it up, you get caught Yeah, after a while. Well, we joke sometimes, like if we screw this job up, we might as well go work in Bolivia or something, <laughs> sure. right? Because we'll true. never work here again. So. It's true. But There's... I feel that because, and I think that's what, you know, that's the recovering addict in me that loves that right. sort of, you know, give me as much pressure as possible. Yes. And then when the victory comes, it feels great. Yeah. But I love that 
that unknowing, you know? Yes, absolutely. The little tension. You the mean. tension, yeah, yeah. sure. It's a good replacement for some other ways we can create tension. Yes. So it is, it's good in that sense. So the first one for me is is that concept of under-promise, over-deliver. Yeah. I'm going to give you more than you ask, and you'll remember that. Yeah. So that's, that's just a given. The other one, rather than looking to gain, I look to help. So from a marketing perspective. Love that. Here's a perfect example last night. So I'm speaking to a bunch of high school soccer players who who actually won today, which was amazing. Hey. Makes me look like a genius, which was great. Their star player was homesick and so felt even better that they were able to, now they're going to a gold medal game for provincial high school finals, which was great. I didn't think one bit about any business I was going to get out of yeah. doing that. I was trying to help these girls. I'm getting ready to leave and a mom, there was only, there were only two parents there, a coach, two parents and the kids who were playing and the, a mom grabs me and I'm in a hurry because I have to go to another high school and I'm sort of, thanks guys, that's great. I'm leaving and I get to the door and the mother meets me at the door and says, you do private work? And I said, yes, I do. And she said, could I get your email then please? I have yeah. a kid. Uh, that's marketing. Yes, it is. But I didn't go there with that intention. No. I'm trying to be the best that I can, and I'm trying to take care of the people in front of me, whoever that is. And that's the people my, in your path. That's right. And that's my form of marketing. And what I've, I had great advice a long time ago from a boss I had who fired me. Uh, he did. Uh, we're still friends. Good. I was really bad at having a job uh, yeah. more than creating a job. He did you a favor then? He did me a big favor. Yeah. But he said to me, if you do the thing you want to do well, the rest will come and find you. Yeah. If you get up every day looking for money, I don't think there's no. a lot of richness in that. No. But if you do the thing you do well, you'll be shocked what happens where where money or security or whatever you're, whatever makes you feel okay. Yeah. It just shows up. Yeah. I had a conversation the other night with a hockey player at a prep school and he looks like, you know, he looks like an NHL kid and I'm, I'm on FaceTime with him at nine o'clock at night, getting him ready for a tournament, going over process goals, as we discussed, trying to help him get into a state where he's going to be okay. And I, you know, there's a whole part of my brain that says, how on God's earth did you get so lucky that this is your work? Oh, you're talking talk to, to an 18 yep. year old kid about hockey. Yeah. How did the, this is what yeah. you watched on TV and now you're the guy. Yeah. So yeah, I know I've been very, but that's very when you fortunate. know, that's when you know you're doing, you're on the right path. A hundred percent. I have yeah. had the many experiences like that. I've been in the middle of a shoot and I just, I start to well up a little bit because I cannot believe yeah. that people are paying me to do what I love <laughs> so to true. do yeah, every so day. True. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And the third one of that of that question about self-marketing is the idea of leaders sit on the bottom, they don't sit on top. And uh, that's that's a fundamental one that I think people make a mistake on. So the higher I rise in any organization or any role I might be playing, what it means is that I'm more and more and more on the bottom holding the rest of the people up. Yeah. And the question simply becomes, how can I help? Yeah. How can I help? Yeah. You do what you do better. I'll do that. We're all going to win. Yeah. If I think I'm on the top, I've got ego. and That's awful. It's awful. It's and awful. nobody wants to be around that No, guy. they don't. They don't. No. And so if I more and more and more think, oh, I get lucky to be able to hold more people up rather than command over them, talk over them, lead over them. I don't lead over. I lead from underneath. Yeah. And uh, everything, people will, to use a basketball analogy, people will dive on the floor with two minutes to go when we're down by 30. They will dive on the floor for you. Well, we know a couple of them. 
We do because we've been, we, that's right, <laughs> because we've been holding them up. I coach junior high basketball at a private school and we have sucked many a year. Yeah. We're good now, quite good. We've had many years where we knew, I knew we were never going to win a game. And so by employing this idea- you never gave up. Never, because we changed the rules without any telling anybody. And the rules were, you're going to have a goal. What are you going to do today? Not points, not result. What are you going to do? And when you do it, and these are 13-year-old girls, when you box out- when you dribble right, when you attempt a shot, because you've not done that yet this year, the bench is going to lose their mind because they know that you've been courageous yeah. and fearless yeah. and you leap. So I have a guy come over halfway through the season and said, you just lost that game by 60. I've never seen kids that happy <laughs> who tried that hard for the whole time <laughs> yeah. when you, sh you know, other teams would have been embarrassed. And I said, yeah, I have different rules here. Yes, you And he do. said, can I come and be, and be a helper? Yeah. Wow. He was also six foot eight and I didn't I was like yep you sure can yeah turned out he didn't know anything about basketball either right but he was big on the leadership part what are you doing with these kids that they're not crying or mad and they want to come or back slamming the gym door on the way out exactly or, yeah. because they achieved the thing they set out to do and they believed in each other and they would die for each other and that now things are and now they're not that it really matters but now the performance is getting better way better wow uh, significantly better yeah and 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 I know from this experience of doing this work I know that that's exactly what happens when we get out of result result comes and that's tricky because yeah. people want to hang on to the to yeah but what's the score going to be or yeah no 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 be keep your head and your feet in the same spot you're going to be shocked what happens yeah. so I mean without really knowing much I've always kind of thought this and we've talked about this before my children I didn't care what sport they played really right but I knew the importance of team sports yes and I wanted them to be exposed to as much of it as possible and and they yes. were yes um and you can see the benefit they have nothing to do with the sport they played the leadership benefits yeah. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. So there's a resilience component. And it's from losing, not oh, from winning. Absolutely. Yeah. The resilience component, I believe, because I work at a university now at Mount St. Vincent University, the resilience component comes from the place for an athlete of, I've been punched in the face and I didn't die. Yeah. So I'm going to be okay. Yes. I love that. So, so I'm not afraid to get punched again. Yeah. Now, what does the kid do? What does the teammate of any place do when they know that they won't fall down if something like that happens? They know they can keep going. And that's, to me, the beauty of sport is that it teaches people, you can hit me and the world's not going to end. No. My mom used to say this, the only thing that's the end of the world, it's the end of the world. Yes. Everything else. And if it's the end of the world, you're not going to care. No. And you won't know about it. It's so true. It really is. So yeah, that's one of the great, there are many, sports truly is a metaphor for life, but there are so many great things that come within it. But I love the concept. I tell teammates, teams that all the time, you have been punched in the face and you survived. Yeah. What does that kid play like? Mm. You know? Yeah. And it becomes, I'll take a risk. Yeah. I'll jump in. I'll lean and fail by trying. Yeah. I won't fail by hesitation. Yes. Well... Think and about you, what that person that's does. That's right. And then behind that, you have the total support of your team. That's right. That's right. Because they know that you'll go to bat for them yeah. and they'll go to bat for you. Yeah. It's an upward movement. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. It sounds like a Hollywood movie. It's funny as we're talking about this, I think. It does sound song, a little karate kid. This sound, it's got it's got a, a field of dreams. It's got yeah, a bunch of little lot components of to it. But the reality, I see it. Come to Mount St. Vincent to the gym, you'll see it. Yeah. It happens every day. A lot day. of great philosophy in Hollywood movies. It, they're cliches for a reason. It's, it's right. Yeah, yeah. So true. So true. Uh, the work you do with athletes is so powerful. Have you thought about experimenting in the work this way with companies and other working groups? Yeah. I know you, I know you speak. I do. Corp, corporate level. It's a little and bit. 
that stuff? stuff? Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I have uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, early on in this process of doing this kind of work, I received a couple of interesting phone calls, asks, if you will, to come and help. Uh, probably, I don't know if I even deserve to be able to go and do it, but they didn't know that and I was courageous, so it happened. One of them was the uh, Dalhousie Dental School controversy that they had. Um, it's been probably 10 years yeah. now. Uh, and so they were put through restorative justice, which is necessary and highly uh, productive. However, the professors at Dal Dentistry were AAA type PhDs, and they perceived restorative justice as a sort of a kumbaya experience of sitting around holding hands and, you know, and yeah. they didn't respond well to that. So the leader at that school called me, knowing that I worked in with athletes, and said, can you convert what you do to what we've just gone through? Wow. And yeah, it was a wow. And so we had eight hours. I had them for eight hours in a hotel convention center and we walked through a process of how team sport and how people get along work out with what their team is can we can we see some comparisons can you use some tools that a basketball coach uses with some of your staff and I knew after that then now I can do this to anybody yeah I'm in the room with people at that time I hadn't finished my first degree so I had again a GED and a cosmetology they didn't know that but I had a GED and a cosmetology <laughs> certificate and everyone in the room had a PhD wow and and you're the man I'm the person that I'm in charge. Yeah. And they're listening. Yeah. And whatever we decide to do, I'm deciding it and they're doing it. Wow. And I went home and thought, well, now there's no more need for fear. None. So let's let's go. Let's go. You can't get a tougher audience. I I that was I've had two tough audiences in my life. That was one of them. And the other one was I was asked to work with the parents of the best Pee Triple A hockey players in the province to help them with pressure management. Basically they were being being ridiculous. And yep. we all know about sports parents. Uh, yeah. And worse than that, what I so I agreed to the gig and I show up and I get the room ready and they start coming in and I realized three people in, they didn't tell them why they they were coming. Wow. They actually told them they were there for a hockey meeting. So now it's an intervention, but I don't, I didn't know that until that moment. So nobody in the room knew it was an intervention. Third guy in says, what are you, some sort of motivational speaker or something? Oh, great. And I looked at the manager of the team, like, and she goes, she's shaking her head back and forth, like, don't say anything. And out of my mouth comes, no, I'm working with your kids, uh, doing mental skills training. And I just want to tell you about what I'm doing and maybe get some help from you, etc." And he's like, okay. And four and a half hours later, we're in a circle talking about the things that they're doing that are making their child's sports experience worse, not wow. better. Wow. Yeah, and and strategies to change. You crack that. it that quickly. It's amazing what you do. I mean, when I, you hustle, I can say you know? that because I've seen these parents. Yes. You know, and I I've probably been in those parents and in, in moments. Yeah. Sadly. Sure. Me too. You know, we all Absolutely. have. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, we were able to get to it. And this is where passion and drive and identity about who you are matters because I see myself as a person that is trying to help parents understand their kids, trying to take pressure off of kids in their performance. Yeah. So that can be sitting with a kid and helping him do stuff. But it also can be what are the things around you that are making your experience worse or better? And in that instance, it was making it worse. And as soon as I saw their heads start to nod up and down as we were talking, I knew 
knew that the room had shifted. Yeah. That they saw. You had them. I, I think so. Yeah. 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 And it did. And it worked. These kids went off to a world peewee championship and the feedback from the organization, the president of that organization, et cetera, was tremendous. Wow. Because they suddenly saw their role. There's this idea that pressure exists between talent and expectation. Yes. And so talent doesn't move quickly. Expectations do. Yeah. So my work is all around who's putting the expectations on you in performance, who's putting the expectations on you and are they realistic and can you meet them? Can you get there? And because that's the thing we can change quickly. Yeah. And often at the youth level, it's more than the kid. So that's where the work came from. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. It was, and you know, like we talked about earlier, I mean, I was the most, I don't get afraid. Was that after the first example you gave for tough audience or was it before? Which was first? You know, the PhDs I think, or the hockey parents? I think it happened the same year and I, could, ne- I could never decide which one was harder. But it was uh, but close, both the frequent, same. yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I would say after, I would say I had the confidence of the PhD crowd's approval before I went into, although hockey parents are tougher. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would say I had the confidence going into that second one with at least that one, you know, behind me or in my pocket, let's yeah. say. And so, yes, it, it, it's, oh, well, it's a weird, I find myself in weird places sometimes. Yeah. I really yeah. do. I think, how did I end up here? It's not boring, your life. Never. No. Never, yeah, never. So I love this, again, uh, uh, saying on the athletes, uh-huh. in the description of what it is you do with your athletes, you ask, what's in your bag? Yes. Can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, I love it. I, yeah. I, this was something that uh, stemmed from golf, as you and I are, are so passionate about that game. That's and for how sure. we first met when we yep. were kids. And yeah. Then, pin high. Pin high, late 70s. Yes. Late 70s yes. in pin high golf course. Uh, and so um, on the golf channel, you'll see this little ad about what's in the what's in the yeah. bag. Yeah. And uh, it's just to find out what pros are using for to market their clubs so yes. that we all go buy them so we think we're going to be like them. And I started thinking about it in terms of all the athletes athletes I work with have a bag of some kind, uh, a, a golf bag, a hockey bag, a soccer bag, a basketball bag. And so if I think of it as a metaphor, what things are you carrying into the performance you're about to do? Mm. Is it doubt or is it mm. confidence? Mentally. Is it, exactly. And who put the things in the bag is my second question. Because if it's you, great. We can, Even though maybe not all the things in the bag are okay, but at least you're you're the puppeteer, not the puppet. I've been talking about this a lot, about the puppeteer. And yeah. for the listeners, I've got my hand up high like yes, I'm a puppeteer. Do. Yeah. And if I can help a kid understand that they can be the puppeteer instead of the puppet by choosing what they put in their performance bag, because you're carrying a bag. They yep. have a bag of self-belief, of performance ideas, of identity, of who they're going to be. They have the bag. We just need to pour it out on the table and say, so did you put all these things in here? Or is this your coach, your parent, your teacher, your friends who are jealous and don't think you can do it? Who filled the bag up? Yeah. And if we don't like what we see, how about we don't put a couple of those things back in? And then what would you be like when you get there? If you're choosing what's in the bag when you show up, if you've got the tools you want to be able to be successful, what kind of kid is that when they step out on whatever floor, pitch, ice, whatever it is that they yeah. do? And you watch a kid develop agency. Wait a minute, wait a minute, I'm in control? Like, And that's I've had kids say exactly that. Wait a minute, I get to choose this? Buddy. Yeah. You know, yeah. as I've, I've said before, you're the writer, director, and producer. Of your life. Of your life. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. as cliche as that might sound. So yes, the what's in your bag is a question I, I pose to all athletes uh, to help them realize, A, they can put different tools in, and B, they're the ones who put it in. And that's that probably is better than what they put in when they realize they actually have control. I have basketball players now that I work with that I can walk into the gym and I can make my hand go like the puppeteer. They and know. They, and they do it back to me. 
Like, yep, I'm in control. I made wow. my goals. Nobody's going to get in my way. Oh, love amazing. it. Yeah, me too. Yeah, me too. So it's been good. It's been good. So with two master's degrees under your belt or about two. Let me, yeah, let me be clear. Yeah. GED. GED. Co- no, sorry. Cosmetology diploma first. Copy. GED. Yeah. Skip the undergrad part. Completely. Yes. Four years of undergrad, completely skipped I that. did about four months of the end of it is right. what I what I talked my way into. I met with the leader of It's a great story. I, I, well, I met with the lead. So, okay, I, I, I'll make this part short. I had a gig with kids involved with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, somebody reached out to me and said, can you help me with these kids' sports training program? I said, uh, sure. We talked. He agreed. The price was right. He yeah. was right. It was all good. And then he said, oh, just send me your credentials. Well, I wasn't going to send him my GED and my cosmetology diploma. So I realized I needed a PhD. I had a GED. So I thought, well, I know. It's great. I I know. I know how it it sounds. I know. I love it. So I said, well, I don't have time for an undergrad degree. I'm too old. You know, I don't have eight, 10, 12 years to get more education. So I need to skip to the master's part. So I applied into the master's degree program because I needed the interview. I wanted to be in the room with the guy. So I apply and he calls me and grants me an interview so he can tell me I cannot do. Now, how many years ago is this? Uh, I graduated in uh, 19, uh, 2018. Uh, yeah. So 2015. 2015. I, in, in August, I had a GED. I went into his office. He said, no, no, you can't get into a master's program. He said, I looked at your transcript. Effectively, you have nothing. A voice in my head said, (laughs) I didn't, I didn't have anything. A voice in my head said, don't get up. Yeah. Okay, sure. I can't do it. And I said that. Okay, that's okay. I understand. I thought I would try. Do not get up out of the seat. An hour went by where he and I were still talking. I had started a program. uh, It's too long a story. I had started a program trying to help African Nova Scotian girls graduate university. And he had worked in the indigenous community and we had that commonality and an hour went yeah. by and in a, the most professorial thing I had ever seen he leans back in this comfortable chair pulls on his very long gray beard and says you know what we could do and I thought uh oh here we go here we go and he allowed me to backfill the last year of an undergrad degree while taking master's credits he basically said I'll let you do one of each and if you fail either one of them it's over yeah and he said when I think you don't have to do undergrad credits anymore I'll, I'll, I'll let tell you, know. you to stop I'll let you know and I got three in so i did three master's credits and three undergrad credits two at a time and at the end of the third fourth year while working full-time while working full-time two jobs sure cutting hair 40 hours a week mental skills training 20 hours a week then doing these credits and after the third one he sent me an email and said you're good Wow. Yeah, you're in. We still in touch with him? Yeah, Jim Sharp. His son was an Olympian swimmer and uh, oh, he changed my life. But if it's not him in the chair, it's not happening. I'm walking walking out the door. Yeah. I'm walking out the door. That's karma, baby. It is, but a voice in my head said, don't get up. Don't get up. Yeah. And I tell athletes this now, let them drag you off the field. When when you hear sub whistle, when you're uh, uh, any player- don't look. Yeah. Make them take you off. Yeah. Don't, don't be willing to go. Yeah. Make the world remove you from this yeah. instance. So so I, I was able to get a master's degree in adult education, which was fantastic. Changed my life experience. I graduated from the Mount, which was great. I'm proud of that. And a couple of years went by, then COVID happened. And when COVID happened and my world of working with athletes and still cutting hair a few days a week was so disrupted, I decided maybe it's time for another master's degree that will support me as I age. Yeah. So I 
I applied to get into a master's of psych of uh, counseling psychotherapy and uh, pounded away at it from May of 2021 until four weeks and two days from right now. And I'll have a license in psychotherapy while I, where I'll be able to help kids from a holistic perspective, yes. not just little performance perspective, but the kid yes. rather than the one specific thing. And uh, this degree will qualify me for insurance so I can bill, you know, Blue Cross, et cetera, which makes it more affordable and easier to access for many more people. And that's key. Congratulations, uh, to, thank brother. Thank you. So, yeah, thank so you so wonderful. much. Thank you. And it does matter. You don't have to do it. And I've known lots of people who didn't do it. For me personally, I walked across the stage for the first time, by the way, there's no stage at cosmetology school. And is there a there, stage for GED? There sure as heck isn't a stage for the GED thing that I yeah. wrote. Yeah. Yeah. So when they call your name and you have your gown and your kids are watching and, and, uh, oh, it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a thing. I never take this. I have a Mount no. St. Vincent ring. I never take it off. No. Yeah. Enormous it, ma it mattered to me. So thanks. Yeah. Thank you. So with these, with these upcoming, you're going to very shortly have two master's degrees under your belt. Yes. What's the most interesting thing you've learned through this journey? I have a couple things, actually. The first one certainly is that I know way more of what I don't know than I used to. Yeah. That there's great power in not knowing things. It makes you curious. You ask questions. I walk into no room with the thought that I'm the smartest guy there, that the more education I've been able to get, the more I realize there's a big fat world out there and I know almost none of it. Yeah. It sounds like a funny misnomer that I have a bunch you of education. become more humble. Now. Humble and also inquisitive and also uncertain in a good way, not in an insecure way. I wonder if James's opinion is right, right. rather than mine. Right. Instead of, I know what I know, and that's what I know. Yeah. You know, many listeners are familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is, I'm too dumb to know I'm dumb, right? Yeah. And so, education has given me the opportunity to realize I don't know much, but I know how to ask good questions now. I know how to analyze things in a way I didn't before. I know how to measure the work that I'm doing with athletes, whether it's working. Your toolbox got bigger. Way bigger. The answers aren't any bigger, but the toolbox is bigger to deal with what's coming. That's right. Yeah. And to be able to be curious. So I, I would say if there was only one thing I could say, uh, the pursuit of uh, two stints of grad school, <clears throat> one of which when I was so ill-prepared, it was ridiculous. Yeah. I had to learn how to write. I had to yeah. learn how to do a lot of things. Uh, the two pursuits through grad school have taught me to ask more questions and shut up and listen. Yeah. And from there, a lot of really great things. You can lead from that position. Yes. Rather than a position of I know and you don't. Yeah. I know, I don't know. What do you know? It's, it's good. Yeah. Yeah. And that was worth it. It really was. That was very much worth the money, time, and energy that it took me to do it. That skill will only go away when my brain stops working. It yes. doesn't matter how old I am. Yes. It doesn't matter what my life brings. I'm going to be fine because uh, I have that I have that in my pocket to say, maybe they're right instead of me. Let's see. Yeah. You know, as I sit here, I'm very excited for you. Like, you know, I'm a huge fan of what you're undertaking, what you're doing, but what I'm most excited about is the people that you're going to help. Like that, that's an incredible gift. Thanks. Well, thanks, James. It's, it's the most selfish act you can do it is, is. Go, is go help other people. Yeah. It, it really is. And I just- And most rewarding. Well, I ask myself all the time, you know, where am I the most Brian Fader, if that makes sense? It does. And where am I the least? And yeah. where I am the least Brian Fader, I don't want to go there very much. Yeah. 
And what's in your bag? Where where I'm the most authentic to who I want to be and what I want to do is when I'm trying to help another person be better. Yeah. That's, there's nothing like that. No. Nothing. No, there's no feeling and like that. And you can't it. buy it. No. And you can't drink it. No. Nope. Uh, you can't create it. No. Uh, and so luckily right now I get to leave this and go off and help a girl hopefully feel better Amazing. about her performance. Yeah, You're very a lucky, lucky man. Very lucky. I got one more question for you. What advice sure. do you have for your younger self? Yeah, ooh, that's a big one. Uh, I was uh, I was different. I was different when I was younger. Uh, I was always chasing potential uh, when I was younger. I, I I was always frustrated with the idea of I could be better, and and so I would say my younger self, if I sat with him, I would put my arm around him and tell him, "You have way more tools than you're aware of." Yeah. So you are enough. You have the skill set you need already. Uh, why don't you go fail a lot and see what happens? Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's what I would say. Man, this has been great. I've been wanting Thanks, to do James. this for a long time. Yeah, me it's, too. Uh, me it's, too. It's great to see you. Well, it's an Thanks honor for to, making the time. Listen, I'm, it's a pleasure to do it, and I was able to look at your other uh, guests on this podcast. It's a great honor to be asked and included in that, and you and I can talk anytime, all the time. Exactly. But that's it for us. Thanks, and uh, Brian, have a great weekend. Bye for now. We really love hearing these stories from our creative community, so stay tuned as we will be inviting more folks to come and chat with us. This podcast has been brought to you by Jive Photographic Productions. From branding images to droning to podcasts, we are your one-stop shop for multimedia. Want to learn more? Check out jivephotographic.com. Until next time, keep it creative.